Well, Chris and I were among those without any power since um, Wednesday night until this morning at 1 o'clock when the lights came on and a security system that we didn't know about came on too. I say without power, I'm just telling you, I'm not talking about Holy Ghost power, that exists, I mean, Gina, God is real, and the power of God is real, and I pray that each one of us who have gathered here today may know that even when electrical power is gone, and even when we feel we're stumbling in darkness, Jesus, the light of the world, brings the real power that we need into this world. I just, I don't even know what I can say beyond what Gina has proclaimed. But that's what I want us to think about, about how Jesus takes us from lives that sometimes feel chaotic and brings them together, uh, lives that feel like we're stumbling around in darkness and brings us into the light. Um, As I was thinking about talking to you about that, I remember back to a um, a prayer breakfast Chris and I went to, uh, February 6th, 2003. It was the National Day of Prayer. And we were in Washington, D.C., and unexpectedly, Dr. Condoleezza Rice was the speaker at that. Uh, She was then the National Security Advisor for the President. Uh, February 6, 2003, some of you people, especially JPL people, you may remember that that was just five days after the tragic crash of the space shuttle Columbia and the loss of the seven passengers' lives at that time. It was uh, early into the time that we were at war with Afghanistan, and it was just before, we didn't know this, but Dr. Rice knew this, it was just before we invaded Iraq. And she gave testimony that morning to how that time for her was a chaotic period in her life. She, She said that her life was now being filled with decisions that she had to make, And we didn't know, but the decisions that would affect not just thousands, but millions of people. Uh, As she talked about how difficult those days were for her, she took us back to an earlier chaotic time in her life when she had become the provost of Stanford University. And she said that because of busyness or whatever else, she was away from the Lord and was not going to church. Now, Dr. Rice is a Christian. Uh, She grew up in a pastor's home, a Presbyterian pastor, and her grandfather was a Presbyterian pastor. It was filled with pastors, but in spite of that, she was away from the Lord, away from the church, and her life felt anchorless. And this is a part of what she said at the breakfast. She said, at Stanford, when I was not attending church regularly, something happened that I will always remember. One Sunday morning, when I should have been in church... I was approached at the supermarket by a man buying some things for his congregation. Uh, He asked me, do you, by the way, play the piano? She was an undergrad major in piano. Dr. Rice said, yes. And he said his congregation was looking for someone to play the piano at their church. It was a small African-American church in the center of Palo Alto, And so I went and I started playing church there every Sunday. And I thought to myself, my goodness, God has a long reach all the way into a lucky supermarket in the spice section on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Then she went on. The only problem was it was a Baptist church. (laughs) And I don't play gospel music very well. I play Brahms. So at this church, the minister would just start singing a song, and the musicians had to pick it up in whatever key he started it in. 
I'm going to try this sometimes. Just see how grace, just see how you do over at the Oregon. So I didn't know what I was doing. So I called my mother, who had played for Baptist churches, to ask for her advice. And she said, honey, when that pastor starts singing, you just play in the key of C, and eventually all of them will come to you. And then she said, and that's true. And some musicians have disagreed, but this is Dr. Rice. She said, if you play in the key of C, the foundational key in music, people will come back. And I have thought, perhaps God plays in the key of C. And that's why we can always seem to find our way back to him when we turn to him, sometimes in spite of ourselves. Now, that national prayer breakfast was filled with Democrats and Republicans. In fact, with people from all over the world, people of all religions and absolutely no religion, and yet every one of us there could resonate with what Dr. Rice was saying. Because every one of us has had times when it feels like the decisions we have to make are absolutely overwhelming. I'm looking around to see if anybody will nod or give me just a unspoken amen or, or something, when, when no decision that we seem that we could make would really solve the problem, when it seems that no decision that we possibly could make would please everyone, and sometimes we feel like anyone, you know what those times are like, when our minds are just racing, sometimes we, we can't get them slowed down, and our lives seem to be frenetic, we're working so hard, but all that work seems to be purposeless and meaningless. I think about it, sometimes I come home and Chris says, what did you do today? Suddenly I think, I worked hard today, but I don't think I did anything. It it just seems like you're accomplishing nothing. Those times so often, you know, we cannot sleep. Our minds are racing. What, What we need then is someone to play in the key of C so that we can get things together and lives that have some sense of purpose and direction and meaning. And today I just want to declare to you on this second Sunday of Advent that I believe from the depths of my heart that it's when we bring Jesus into the center of our lives. He is the one, he is the only one who can bring our lives together. And the book of Colossians that we're looking at, and those of you who are visiting it, that we're using Colossians chapter 1 as a guide through this Advent season to look at what child is this, And today what I want us to see is that what Paul declares to us is that Jesus is the one who can take our lives and uses two images from chaos and brings it into cosmos, disorder to order. And the other image that he uses, he takes our lives that feel like my life felt on Wednesday night when the lights went out (laughs) from darkness. And when I said, where on earth is the flashlight? And he brings it into light. And uh, just think about those two images, that, that Jesus somehow is the one who can take our lives from chaos to cosmos. Did, did you notice, as Gwen read for us, verse 17, it's the verse she, she ended with. Jesus is said to be the one who holds all things together. Jesus holds all things together. What you have, and I don't have time to show it to you today, but what you have in these verses in Colossians 1 is that Paul is constantly looking back to the creation account in Genesis chapter 1. And it started with Genesis 1-2 when the whole world, it says, was without form 
And it was void. And then through this beautiful creation account that's so symmetrical and so orderly, God takes things from that chaos, that, that formlessness, and brings it into something that has order and beauty where he says it is good. And here, what Paul is going to be saying is Jesus is the one who created that. He's a God of order. So when we bring him into our lives, what he's saying is he can recreate our lives. And when they seem to be so chaotic, he can bring them into cosmos. He wants us to know that through Jesus, and he goes at length to say it in verse 16, all things, all things were created by him. And the implication is that when we bring him into our lives, he can recreate us. And just as Gina just gave testimony to redirect us. to See, I, I'm just guessing that this morning, just like at that um, prayer breakfast, I'm guessing that some of us here can relate with Dr. Rice's testimony when there's so many things going on, when life seems to be so out of order, when you try so hard and you want to do so well, but it doesn't seem to be leading anywhere. I was trying to find an image that would show it, and I was looking all over, and I found this one picture from Thailand. Maybe, we... You know, Scott White has spent so much time, our pastor of outreach, and, and he, he spent so much time in Thailand, he said, I think I've stood under that wire. Can you imagine that wire, if those winds that blew through here this past week had blown through there? And then I would turn to you and say, just go there and get those wires all put together so we'll all have power again. It, it just looks absolutely impossible. And doesn't it sometimes feel like our lives are like that? Just so many parts of it, but you just wonder, how on earth do they connect? Who can bring order out of this thing? And, and the message I want to bring to you today, the second Sunday of Advent, is that Jesus claims to be the one who can do that. In other words, the one who holds all things in the universe together, he comes to us and says, if you bring me into your life, I'll hold your life together. That's the first image he uses. It's powerful to think. Chaos to cosmos. And the second image that he uses, it's so similar, and, and this week with all the darkness we've had without power here, it, it really hits us. He takes us from darkness to light. Uh, look at, at, at verse 13 with me. It, it's saying that this child born in Bethlehem is really the king who has dominion. And the way that it puts it is God the Father comes and rescues us out of this dominion of darkness and he brings us into a new dominion, into the kingdom of the Son that he loves. Now, I'll just tell you, the, the language that's used here, this dominion of this and dominion of that, was so common in, in the world that Jesus lived in. It, it was for a time when uh, people would be living in a place where there were a lot of enemies around them. The Roman Caesar, the Roman king, would come in and defeat the area, and then the Roman citizens, he would take them, out of that area where the enemies were, and he would pull them into a completely different community. Uh, those of you who are here for the series in Philippians, do you remember? I pointed out that Philippi was filled with those kind of people, had all these Roman citizens who had been rescued by their Caesar and pulled into this beautiful community of Philippi. When you think about this, this is such a beautiful picture of what Jesus does. We turn to him. He's playing in the key of C. <laughs> We turn to him and say, I give my life to you. Will you forgive me of my past? And he says, I will. I'll put you into my life. And it says he takes us out of that darkness and pulls us into a place where we begin to know the guidance and direction of God. Now, look, you're with me, even those of you in the darkness up there in the balcony, right? 
I am not saying that when you and I follow Jesus, that poof, suddenly, we have no days that feel chaotic. Anybody want to say amen to that? Or no days when we feel like we're stumbling around a bit. There is a process in this. We trust him and then we begin to learn to walk with him and learn that he is indeed trustworthy. And still, I just find that there's still days that things happen that I don't quite see what he's doing. And yet I sense God saying, listen, but I know what I'm doing. Will you trust me? Um, This past September, I was at a Billy Graham Center board meeting. I'm on the board. And the executive director of the Billy Graham Center is Dr. Juan Allison. And he had told us that just this past August, for the first time in his life, he had been able to go to uh, Tanzania and climb Mount Kilimanjaro. He'd always seen it. He wanted to go. I have a picture of it there. It's just how beautiful that is. He wanted to climb to the top of that. He'd heard that it was hard, but he he decided. So he and a group of others gathered at the bottom of the camp one night. and, and, And they thought they'd go while it was still daylight. And the guide said, no, we'll wait and we'll go when I'm ready. And in the middle of the night when it was the darkest, the guide came in and woke them all up and said, let's go. Well, well, for long this made absolutely no sense. The weather didn't seem to be a factor in all of this. Why do we have to go here in the the darkest part of the night? But they went and and they made it. He said, and Dr. Allison is one fit individual. And he said, everybody told me it was hard. They had understated it. It was almost impossible. It felt rigorous. See that second picture. Can you imagine going up that that length of Mount Kilimanjaro? So they made it to the top. And he was indeed euphoric. We made it. They shot all the pictures that you always do. But he still couldn't understand why they had to start in the middle of the night. And here's what the guide said. We have learned that if people can see the challenges and dangers ahead of them, they will not go. But then after they arrive, they are thrilled that they did. So we go through the night and ask you to trust us to bring you safely to the desired destination. And that's what God does for us. He's not finished with his work yet. This world is not yet all that he says it someday will be. And when we give our lives to him, sometimes he doesn't show us everything that the day or the week is going to hold, but asks us to trust him. See, so much of this progress in growing, to have these lives that are held together, feels like that journey up Mount Kilimanjaro. So we're on a journey. It begins with us bringing Jesus into the heart of our lives. And it's a process to having our lives going from chaos to order, from darkness to light. So do I have any hope for you on this journey when these tough days come in case you're facing some of them? Well, Paul gives us three words, and I'm just going to give them to you this morning. And then we're going to remember the death of Jesus. The three words are learn, live, and remember. Those are my three words for this journey, moving from sometimes chaotic lives to order, from darkness to light. Learn, live, and remember. Uh, The first word is learn. You need to learn, be involved in a process of learning how the one who made you wants you to live, how he created you to live. Look at verse 9. Paul prays, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. See that? We pray that God will fill you 
with the knowledge of His will, how He wants you to live, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. In other words, the the Bible tells us that before we can know how God would have us to live, we have to see what He has taught about Himself and about ourselves and about uh, what what is the right way of living. So many people just say, well, I'm just going to sort of trust God and then I'll just kind of live by my intuition, but it doesn't work that way. The Bible constantly tells us that this place where our lives moves from chaos to cosmos begins with our minds. That we, we can't apply, we can't live out what we have never learned. And in our day, so many times when we just think about our, our religious experience as being just that, just an experience where we don't have to be involved in really learning what God has revealed in this, His Word, and spending time with people to think, how do, how do you apply that? I think so many times, even though people say, yes, I believe that it's true, but then we still go out and flail around and hope that maybe we can find the way God would have us to live. Um, I had a good friend named John Mackett when I was in seminary. Uh, we would travel together from Racine, Wisconsin, down to Deerfield, Illinois. And uh, he's, a, he's now Dr. John Mackett. But he was always so funny. When we were going to be having a big a test, he would say, I hope this isn't going to be an objective test. I hate objective tests, John always said. You know what those are? Those are like multiple choice or or fill in the blank, or something like this. He says, because objective tests always force me to actually know things. He said, I I like essays. Then I can just write and write and write whether I know anything or not. He said, just don't bother me with the facts, just let me write. Now, Now, he was joking when he said that. But I think so many people try to live life that way. And so you come to church, perhaps, and, and, and say, well, I believe in God, but life still seems to be chaotic. Dr. Robert Walls of Seattle Pacific University once wrote this, and it stuck with me. He said, the biblical illiteracy, do you know what I mean by that? People who never read the Bible. So the biblical illiteracy that characterizes so many clergy and congregations today is largely responsible for, number one, a church that seems powerless to a watching world, and number two, to lives among church people that are indistinguishable from the world. See, now this relationship, we must learn so that we can live, is captured in verse 9 in that word, wisdom. That the way we're to live, we're made in God's image, is to flow out of the character of God, and wisdom is the way that God created people in His image, actually to live life and treat people and to speak with people. So my prayer is that we will be a people who are learning the will of God. I want to give you a few pieces of pastoral advice about how this might actually happen. What do I want you to do? Number one, I want you to become a perpetual student of the Word of God. What do I mean by that? Just keep learning. No matter how, many, how much you have learned, learn more. Read the Bible. On your own. Uh, if you're in a small group, be sure to be in a small group that actually opens this Bible. So Glenn and Jean and all the rest of you, make, make, make note of that. Um, make sure if you're visiting with us that you are in a church where this word is taught. No matter what else is happening, even if the service is boring, if this word is taught, it will not be boring. Um, get a version of the Bible on your phone. What else do I... On your iPod, 
Get a version of the Bible, and as you're jogging, listen to it. Uh, get, get a version of the Bible on, on, on books on tape, and as you travel, listen to it. And, and as you do, keep listening for the voice of God and seeing what he will teach you about himself and how to live. That's my first piece. Second piece of advice. Um, then make sure you are worshiping together with other brothers and sisters. What you're doing today, you're doing a good thing. Because I have found out something. Now, I, I'll look and see if anybody nods with me. Sometimes I will read the Bible, and God will speak to me and direct me. But when I come to church, and I'm there with my other brothers and sisters in the church, and this word is open of our Father, it's as if God speaks to me in a completely new and fresh way. I say, I hadn't seen that before. And sometimes I feel conviction, and so often I feel guidance. So we need to gather together regularly and open this word as a family. Don't miss. Third, then find counsel together, biblical counsel I mean, in Christ-centered community. I have found that when you get a small group, even if they're just two or three of you, and you'll open the Bible and, and look at that, that we can speak to, I see this, and the other one will say, I see that, and we learn from one another, and we see ways that it applies to us. Then the final piece I would say, then take time to be guided by the Spirit of God. So we, we read his word, we, we learn what is there. But then the way he puts it in verse 9, through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. What, what I'm saying is sometimes we need to take time to stop and be silent before the Lord. We've heard it, Father. What does that mean to me? And so often you will hear or sense the Spirit of God saying, not that way, but this. Don't do that, but this. First word, learn. Second word is, is live. So, beginning to know the, the, God's will, then have a single-minded desire to please God. Look at verse 10. We pray this so that you may actually live a life that is worthy of the Lord and live a life that pleases him in every way. I'll tell you, I, I think this is the intentional commitment that takes our lives from chaos and brings them into cosmos. Uh, be, because in, in most of our lives, if, if uh, our, our desire is to please other people, then all we are do, do is we're driven left and right and here and there because everybody wants something different. And even if we please one, one time, we want the next. Our lives end up becoming frenetic and completely disordered. Right? And, and if we say, okay, I'm not going to be a people pleaser. I'm just going to please myself. Then we just go up and down because our emotions do that. Here is the way we get focus to our lives is that the one we're going to please is the God who made us, who loved us, who sent his son, who died on the cross for us. The way that the Old Testament puts it, Proverbs chapter 1, that we only have one fear in this world. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wise, li wise living. The only thing we're going to fear, the only thing we're going to fear is displeasing God. The thing that gives focus and direction to our lives is that we want to please him. Um, was it last week or two weeks ago? Jeff Madison says we quote Pastor Jeff Leo every week. So I'll do it again. Last Tuesday he said, Pastor Greg, look at that. We're, it's not simply asking what will God allow, but what will please him. 
See, Paul would say all things are lawful for us. But really, the, the question that we need to ask here is, Lord, what will please you? I mean, we can always say, well, what will God let me do? I can just watch video, uh, play video games all day. But then that will still not be a directed life. The thing that gives direction to our lives is what will please him. And I, let me just tell you this. You may say, always asking what will please God, that, that, that's going to be a bit of a boring life. It is not going to be a boring life. It is an energized way of living. It, it means every encounter that you have, you say, Father, how should I speak to that person? Oh, Father, I've had a broken relationship with this person for a long time. Do you think it's boring to go and, and seek reconciliation <laughs> and to see if God will actually open the hearts of that, those people from whom we're broken? I'll tell you, this is what gives energy to life. And though I just want to show it to you briefly, look at verses 10 to 12. Paul says, how great is this life of focusing upon the Lord? When you do, you will bear fruit in every good work. Your life will be productive. Number two, you will grow in the knowledge of God. And actually, these first two phrases come right out of Genesis 1.28. God has made us to bear fruit and to multiply. He says, the thing you are made for, you'll begin to live it out. Number three, if life sometimes seems to be a place where you have no energy, you will be strengthened with all power. And that power will be according to his glorious might. A might that uh, will give us great endurance and patience. Whew. We need that. And if you become impatient with your pastor, read this text. Read this text. And fourth, we'll have lives that are characterized by the fact that we give joyfully thanks to the God the Father. Now, what, what I'm not saying is that when, uh, when we give our lives to Jesus and our single aim is to please him, that all of us will become exactly alike. We won't. Because God will give us all different lives and bring different people across our paths. You know I've been on a crusade for a long time. I used to speak at university campuses all the time. And I began to realize that so many university students think that following Jesus is boring or mundane or everybody becomes sort of like in a jello mode, everybody exactly alike. And I'll just tell you, it is not like that. I went on, online and I found this image. It is not like God just makes every one of us exactly like. We're not like these square watermelons that sometimes... Have you seen those? Have you seen those? Well, they, grow, they found out that watermelons are all different so that they couldn't ship as many of them. And so they can grow them in these boxes so that they're just these cubes. God does not do that to us. He does not. This, this last week, Beth Randolph wrote me from our church, wrote me a wonderful note. She said, Pastor, have you just noticed that the word Advent seems a lot like the word adventure? I had never thought about that. So I went back and I found out they have the exact same root, root which means a happening. A happening. And so here's what it is when you follow this Jesus of Advent. He's the one who brings adventure into your life. And helps your life to begin to have true meaning and uh, a true guidance. I, I, I feel like when I look at this text, it's what Dr. Rice was longing for when she was longing for somebody to play in the key of C. So that this life that God had given her that seemed so out of order, even though she had played such important roles, that seemed to still be flailing away is something that has direction. So I just want to say, fix your eyes on Jesus because in Him 
all things hold together. All right, so learn, live. And then just the last word is remember. And by this, I mean we need to take time individually and as a congregation to remember who Jesus is, then especially what he has done to offer us forgiveness and a new life. Look at verses 13 and 14. Remember so that you might be grateful for what he's done and recommitted so that you'll please him. God the Father has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and he has brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves and it is in him that we have redemption, which means we've been bought out of slavery, out of, out of an inadequate way of life. We have the forgiveness of sins. See, my, my point today is that our lives start coming together when God takes up his rightful place in the center of our lives. Nothing in his place. But we have to start on that journey. And, and all of us have parts of our lives that keep us from a holy God. We, we need forgiveness. Where are we going? Do we earn it? Can we, can we get there that way? No, all of us have already fallen short. And verse 12, God the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance. We, we don't qualify ourselves. It's not like me trying to get into a school and sending all of my credentials. I hope I get in. It's not like us trying to find a job and as we uh, put together our resume, look, I'm good enough to come in. Because none of us are. It is He is ready to qualify us. How has He done it? The sinless one came and bore our sins upon himself. We dare never forget that. And the only thing that will make us so grateful that we say, Father, I'll live to please you instead of to please myself. Because we're tugged to do that, right? The only thing that will do that is remembering again and again how much he loves us and what it cost for us to have him in our lives. Peter would talk about it in 1 Peter 3.18. He says, let us never forget, Christ suffered for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. And he did it to bring us to God. So the Bible tells us to remember, and that's what we're going to do at the end of our service. 